Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Today's show is brought to you by Fandor. Sign up online or in the app for a free one-week trial. Just $4.99 a month for your all-access pass. Playing now on Fandor is Herschel Gordon Lewis's Blood Mania. This horror anthology comprises of four distinct segments that feature a raucous combination of satirical humor, horror, gore, and enough surprises to satisfy most horror enthusiasts. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another Fandor video podcast. I'm Hooman, and I'm alone. There's no Bryn, and there's no Chris, but that's okay. We're still going to give you another great show. Uh, I'm really excited to introduce everyone to our guest today. His name is Obi Bentz, and his film... Heavy Petting is now on Fandor, and we're going to talk about that soon. But, Obi, tell us about yourself. Uh, well, actually, it's a long story. I'm writing a memoir, but that will be later. It's called The Making <laughs> of a Fanatic. Uh, my problem was that I inherited money when I was 21, and I had a tremendous uh, uh, moral belief in social justice. So I went to San Francisco and started you know, a whole bunch of foundations, which I did for uh, 10 years, and then uh, went on to making films. Um, so I made a film about U.S. foreign policy in Latin America, nominated for an Oscar, um, and uh, and then went to make this film, Heavy Petting, which is also based on some of your, your viewers will remember the film Atomic Cafe, uh, which was based on uh, archival footage from the army about uh, essentially a reenactment of World War III by the War Department in, in, during World War II. So we did the same thing with sex education films. We um, got old films from... Uh, that had been done for in relation to any film that had been done overtly about sexuality or about uh, kids growing up and tried to put it together into a feature. Um, I want to go back to something you said before we get into heavy petting and social justice and films on sexuality. When you were 21 and you inherited that money, did you know that money was coming your way or was it a big surprise? (laughs) No, well... It, that's this is such an interesting story. It's a whole different one because there'll be a movie about me at some point. Um, I was a radical in the '60s, and I enjoyed everything from like free love to marijuana. And um, I was from a middle class family, though. And my grandfather had uh, invented a, or started a company called Sunbeam Bread, which is that little girl, eating, you know, eating a, a buttered white bread. Um, so he gave me money when I was two. Uh, and I sort of knew a little bit about what it was, but I wasn't really sure. Um, and then, boom, when I was 21, I got this trust. Um, and my income was 
in, in inflation corrected was like uh, almost four hundred thousand dollars a year wow. uh, at 21 years old with nothing to do except uh, my kind of moral commitment to uh, women's rights, fighting racism, <laughs> you know, low income people's rights, that kind of thing. Wow, that that's man. I mean, talk about being born at the right time at the right place to the right family. <laughs> Look at you. All right, well, let's let's talk about heavy petting. I mean, it's now on Fandor. I'm dying to talk to you about this cast. Sandra Bernhardt, Francis Fisher, David Byrne, Allen Ginsberg. How did you get these people to all say yes? What was it like working with them? I mean, tell us as much or as little as you want here. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, Ginsberg I had met in the in the 70s. Um, you know, he was the essentially United States' most uh, uh, renowned poet, in addition to being gay. Um, and he was, uh, I just called him up and uh, I said, hey, you know, and he agreed to do it. Um, so then I, he, the day before the shoot, he called and said, hey, you know, Bill is in town. Why don't we ask him to come? And I'm like, whoa, Bill, William Burroughs, are you kidding me? Um, so we arranged him in a two shot. It's the only two shot they've ever been in together. And the interplay with them is, is, is fascinating. Uh, I mean, we couldn't get into the, the gay themes. I mean, it was, it was tough because none of the films that we uh, acquired from the 40s, 50s, 60s, any of them had, I mean, there was the tiniest reference to maybe one girl who had too much affection for a girlfriend of hers. That was, that was it. So we really couldn't get into gay themes particularly well. Anyway, they were terrific. Frances Fisher, I just knew as a friend. You know, she is, uh, you know, famously uh, Kate Winslet's mother from Titanic. Um, you know, she was just a very charming, you know, energetic New Yorky type. Well, she's British, actually, but New Yorky type uh, actress. Uh, Sandra Bernhardt came through a, uh, a casting director. Um, it was also, you know, so I had met her for the first time. By the way, that was interesting with her because there were three gay people I interviewed, uh, of which she was one, um, and none of them would admit on camera in the late 80s that they were gay. Hmm. You know, I sort of worked around with her and, and uh, you know, I have to obviously respect their professional decisions about whether or not to reveal that. Because at that point, it actually was tough on some of their careers. In the same way that John Leguizamo just said that he wouldn't, you know, the, the actor has been in a bunch of action films. He would not go out into the sun because he didn't want to darken his skin. Wow. You know, I've interviewed John Leguizamo two or three times. I, I can't even believe he admitted to that. That's yeah. pretty. Well, now, now at this point, I worked yeah. with him once too. Also, with with we did a benefit for uh, Norman Lear's uh, group, People for the American Way. He's a terrific guy. Oh man, I, I couldn't agree more. He is he yeah. is the most warm, welcoming person. Yeah, terrific. And for um, him, to, and he's so short too. For him to do all these action films, <laughs> it's a, anyway, I know yeah. it is pretty funny. Um, well, tell me about the film festival circuit in the late '80s. Where did you take uh, heavy petting? Where, where did well, we, you guys go with it? Well, we first went to Sundance, of course, and that's where um, I was. The same year as Sex Lies and Videotape, uh, Steven Soderbergh's first film, um, and we were the you know the balance of fiction, nonfiction, uh, sexuality. Um, and, and we sold there for half a million dollars, which for a documentary, even corrected for inflation, is probably more than a million. It uh, never happens, you know. Wow. So anyway, and then we, we had a full distribution of theaters in the United States. Um, I went to the Tokyo Film Festival, all over Europe, um, uh, you know, uh, Venice, Cannes, um, Ghent, all these things. Uh, you, were Moscow. Able to you were able what? to take this one film to the most premier film festivals? One yeah. right after... I 
as a documentary, which is like incredible because it, you know, it's a comedy and, and, it, and it plays, but also I think it has a, a strong element of Americana in it. You know, I mean, yeah. nobody else made these kind of films, which are supposed to be sensitive to, to kids, but also we had that, that wacky documentary footage, like the, you know, the father having the, you know, the five-year-old boy, uh, in boxing clubs get beaten up by some other kid because he thought that it was a you know kind of a macho thing for children to do tell us uh what happened at the moscow film festival oh yeah moscow you see moscow was um they had a sidebar called sex in american cinema and it had blue velvet sex lines and videotape working girls which is that film um about that's not working girl it's working girls was a film about a, a whorehouse run by uh, women and and uh so we opened that um, and the strange thing about film festivals in Moscow at that point is that they just, as a filmmaker, they turned the volume down on your on your soundtrack, which were full of these, you know, 60s, uh, 50s, 60s, terrific rock and roll songs. And then some one guy in with a, uh, read the entire transcript while the film was going on. Anyway, a woman came up to me, and there's lots of laughter, and then I talked afterwards through a translator. A woman came up to me afterwards and said, thank you so much. For this film you know i wish my son could have seen this because one time when he was young he called me and said i have to go to the hospital you have to call an, an ambulance immediately and he wouldn't tell me what was wrong and and when he got in the ambulance and he went off um and then when we were at the hospital the ambulance driver pulled me aside and said you know what it was he had masturbated and ejaculated and he thought that his body was coming apart because he had had no sex education wow <laughs> you know? Hilarious. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Um, so you made this film in the 80s. Are you still surprised that the film has an impact on people today? Yeah, totally, because it's, well, I mean, sexuality, of course. Teenage sexuality is awkward everywhere in the world, I think. I mean, even in Bali, you know, so you have to kind of go through these things where you're learning yourself uh, what's going on and the funny thing about these worthy films really when the they were made by mcgraw hill which was an encyclopedia uh, book company um the idea was in the 50s there were progressive liberal type people that thought that you should be able to talk openly about these issues um and um and they did so we we felt at that point that, that we could put it together but even now um there's this controversy about sex education in schools you know and uh, you know, obviously, I'm on the side that thinks the more you talk about these things, the better, whereas the right wing thinks it's like training for sexuality or something like that. You know, and of course, the film goes through the whole problem with VD getting pregnant. And naturally, nobody, nobody, no teenager wants to get pregnant. You know, so I mean, all of these issues are addressed one way, one way or another, um, you know, as well as just the pure, um, you know, male female balance of it. I mean, there's a story in the film where one girl says, that uh, she was just dry humping with her boyfriend and she had an orgasm. <laughs> and she said, oh, I didn't like it. And I got rid of the, and told him he had to leave. He had to leave. He didn't understand. And I went in and talked to my sister and told her the story. And, and the sister tells my friend, oh, you must be mistaken. Girls cannot have orgasms. Wow. <laughs> Crazy. Um, 
Let's talk about uh, films that had a huge impact on you as you were growing up. Is is there three or four movies that I don't know you go back to time and time again, or movies you think about a lot that that maybe you could share with us that that kind of impacted the trajectory of your life, or just films you really loved? Yeah, well, it's tough because I mean, few of them are documentaries as I was really growing up. Because at that point, it was very hard to see documentaries. You couldn't stream all this stuff. You had to actually go to a theater. I mean, so I loved Nanook of the North in terms of documentaries, and and uh, which were really incredible. But it was pretty routine, frankly. I mean, I loved Apocalypse Now and and Godfather, um, all that sort of thing. Chinatown, you know, the the sort of main mainstream you know, smart, uh, dynamic uh, films. I mean, there's, there were also films, more independent films, like My Dinner with Andre, which was just two people talking at a table, more or less for the entire time, um, as I began working in film. You know, I mean, in the early stages, I was very much into these doctor documentaries about social issue politics. Um, but in terms of entertainment film, uh, for your audience and now for really pretty much anybody who wants to enjoy things, I think it was, it was really kind of conventional. Uh, I mean, I deeply admired. Uh, and of course, I was in San Francisco in the time. Oh, there's a funny story about, um, you remember uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? Of course, yeah. You know, well, okay. You remember his nickname is Ben, right? Yeah. So Obi-Wan, Ben. Okay. I had been, in, during this social justice period in San Francisco, there was articles about me in the newspaper. And I always wondered whether I was a good guy or there were good guy articles doing this good thing whether it would look as subliminally had gotten in his mind that Obi-Wan, how does Obi-Wan Kenobi get to Oben? You know, so yes. anyway, so I actually had an opportunity. I went to a, a screening, a, a, a private screening of Apocalypse Now before it was finished, when it actually had the other ending yeah. and Lucas and all these other people were there. So I had the chance to go up to him and say, uh, my name's Obi-Ben, you know, how did yeah. you get to me? You know, and then he just kind of said, oh, I like to make characters and kind of scurried away. I mean, I think I didn't know if he saw the lawsuit in the, in the coming in the, in the back. Yeah, that's really fascinating because I, you know, I didn't want to be too cliche with my questions and say, how many people mix you up with the guy from Star Wars? How did you end up with the name Obi? But I do know George Lucas. I've met, you know, met him several times over several occasions, and he is a little awkward. He does scurry away exactly the way you described. So since you brought it up, how did you end up with this name, Obi? Oh, well, my real name's Alan. My middle name's Oberly. I'm from a Swiss family uh, going back to my great-great-grandmother or something like that. And they always called me Obi. And look, I love it. I mean, I have a friend, uh, an artist, a terrific artist friend. His name is Robert Reynolds. He's impossible to Google, right? <laughs> but I think I'm the, I'm the, I'm the only Obi-Bens in the world, right? There's like Obi Trice and a few other people, but... Uh, you know, so I'm very Googleable. Also, it's short. <laughs> and I'm dying to know: Do you like the Star Wars universe? Oh, to well, totally, man, totally. Okay, I mean, it's, great. it's brilliant, brilliant. If you if you yeah. were to say, uh, I absolutely hate it. I can't believe they use my name. <laughs> that would be another thing. No, no, no. Yeah. Oh, no, all the, I mean, I love I love good conventional uh, films. I mean, you know, in, independent films are wonderful. I mean, I love all these these Chinese you do. You know, I mean, you know, these fabulous all the Kurosawa films. Um, it's interesting but, because, uh, you know, Alex Guinness, uh, towards the end of his life, just hated doing interviews about Star Wars. Are you, are you yeah, familiar yeah, with sure. that? The guy right, I'm sure that. Um, yeah, yeah. All right. So so what's next for you, Obi? What what how can we keep in touch with you and see what you're up to? Like, what are you working on next? 
Well, like, like I said earlier, I've, I've, I've written uh, actually uh, two books that are memoirs. One is called The Making of a Fanatic. Uh, the second one is called The, which is just Up Until I Inherit the Money. Then the second one is um, The Adventures of a Fanatic, which is that whole decade in San Francisco and all that was going on. Are, are you in San Francisco? Where are you based? I'm right outside, of, like uh, men, uh, near Stanford University. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, um, but I, so I was a, I started a foundation in San Francisco to give away money to social justice projects. And um, we did amazing stuff. And we funded um, Margaret St. James, who was a former prostitute uh, organization called Coyote, Call Off Your Old Tired Ethics, which was supportive of, of sex workers it was in the 70s. And we funded it with tax exempt money. You know, um, I did, a, I uh, promoted all these no nukes um, benefits with Jackson Brown and Bonnie Raitt. Um, you know, Graham Nash and all of these people uh, for years, which led to a huge Madison Square Garden show. But I, you know, worked uh, in a really interesting field uh, with Peter Coyote, for instance, was, who was um, an actor as well, who at that point was Governor Jerry Brown had appointed to be the arts director of the state of California. And at that point, Jerry Brown uh, was refusing to live in the, uh, the uh, uh, governor's mansion. He lived in an apartment in Sacramento. Um, was uh, the he ran the seventh largest government budget in the world? You know, it was an amazing time in San Francisco uh, and in California. Um, you know, we had to deal. I organized conferences for people with inherited money to talk about how to most effectively give it away. It was a it was a really a, a crazy scene. Uh, so, you definitely lived like five lifetimes on one lifetime. Are are you as busy today as you were back then? Well, writing the book, yes. I mean, also not only that, I, I've been I've been married uh, four times. <laughs> Holy cow! Divorced three. How many I've kids got three you got? Kids. No, three? I mean, I, I decided at the end of my, you know, when I was thirty and started filmmaking, I um, decided to cool out that whole social justice thing. I felt I had done my time and tried to be a good, you know, better sort of person rather than a fanatical person so i mean now, now you know I, I devoted more time to my kids and I, i've enjoyed it so can i can i explore the whole four times marriage with you or should we leave sure, that alone I, I'm so are all three of the kids from like three of the different women like <laughs> no, that's, a good, that's a good one no my first marriage uh, was for a brazilian girlfriend that i was totally in love with that she went back to brazil the second one was a terrible mistake where i married someone from texas just which was I don't even know. I can't even imagine why it happened. But how long did the second one last? How that long? was one year. Thank okay. God. Let me tell you, one year. That was long enough. Okay. Uh, from uh, from Texas. Uh, don't ever do that unless unless they're from Austin. Okay. okay. Um, and then uh, then the third. But then, then the third one I actually was um, really totally in love with. It's fabulous. Um, who worked with um, Coppola too, by the way, uh, in production design, um, and had two kids with her. That lasted. Um, until they were four and eight, when she said she wasn't in love with me anymore. And I, I'm the oh. most lovable guy, come on. Uh, but <laughs> anyway, I, I, all, I, all I had to do after a year of couples counseling was say yes. Um, and then finally I landed now, um, so I had two kids with that, uh, with a you know, wonderful uh, artist from Taiwan, and we have a 13-year-old, you know. Um, wow. So I feel very fortunate. So how long have you been married to the fourth one? How many years? <laughs> uh, let me think. Twelve. Oh, okay. So this one sounds like a keeper. 
<laughs> yeah, the keeper is actually. Well, I think the problem is, I think the problem is more enduring me. You know, I mean, I've always thought that I was just this, you know, terrific guy who everyone would always love, and I'd always do the right thing. But that isn't what my companions feel. I think that it's like a, they feel like I'm sort of a pushy, you know, you know, know-it-all type of guy that you know wants to do things his way. You know, so funny. And anyway, this one I believe will be able to endure me. Wow, Obi, you know what the greatest thing about you is? Obviously, I interview a ton of people. You are an open book. You're, <laughs> you don't have any secrets. No, thank God. You're willing yeah. to share it all. Yeah. Wow, that's great. Well, do you ever make it out to the Bay Area anymore? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, pre-COVID, obviously. But, yeah, um, yeah uh, oh, absolutely. And, in fact, I can't wait for this COVID to be over, really. I know. Come on. We're all I mean, hoping I think, and praying. I, look, I really think that, that um, it's going to become endemic. And that, uh, and things will lighten up in the spring, and then we'll unfortunately have to mask for a while, you know. And then you will be getting shots. I mean, that's what I hope. You know, uh, that's my view. But anyway, yes, of course, I'll be out there. His name is Obi Benz. His film is Heavy Petting. It's now on Fandor. I mean, listen, what a great interview this guy has been. <laughs> Just support the film because he's such a good guy. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Obi. Thanks to humans. Thanks, buddy. See you. All right, brother. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. Today's show is brought to you by Fandor. Sign up online or the app for a free one-week trial. Playing now on Fandor is Herschel Gordon Lewis's Blood Mania. This horror anthology comprises of four distinct segments that feature a raucous combination of satirical humor, horror, gore, and enough surprises to satisfy most horror enthusiasts. That's F-A-N-D-O-R, the home for cinephiles. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.